0: continue that focus, I want to look at a New Testament couple. I want to focus our attention on one of the most famous couples in the New Testament, and it's not Ananias and Sapphira, a couple that is often considered to be the most famous or infamous in the New Testament, known for their deceit and how the Lord so dramatically judged that. And though Ananias and Sapphira serve as the exact opposite of the couple. ...that we want to look at this evening. Instead, we will look at Aquila and Priscilla. A husband and wife team whom we can appreciate as... ...as one scholar called it, the most prominent couple... ...involved in the first century expansion of the church. The Apostle Paul described this couple with these words... ...words of great distinction... In Romans chapter 16, verses 3 and 4, when he said this, he wrote, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. As a pair who received such wonderful words of commendation from the Apostle Paul, it serves us well to study this couple and consider what made them so respectable and revered, even in the eyes of Gentile believers. As we put our study together this evening, we will find, for those of us who are already married, that this couple provides us with an example to imitate. And so if you're married this evening, I really want you to think of your own marriage As we study the lives of this great husband and wife team, for those of you who are not yet married and plan to be one day, I want to encourage you to set this couple up as the example for which you are to strive. This is what a good marriage looks like. And in our study of Aquila and Priscilla this evening, we're going to study their lives looking at four dimensions that we find for us Here in inspired scripture, we're going to look at their marriage, we're going to look at their home, we're going to look at their theology, and we are also going to look at their loyalty. And as we look at those four dimensions their marriage, their home, their theology, and their loyalty we're going to see that the spirit of the Great Commission permeates each one of these dimensions. We could say this, and this will be the outline for our study this evening. Aquila and Priscilla had a great commission marriage. Secondly, Aquila and Priscilla had a great commission home. Thirdly, Aquila and Priscilla had a great commission theology. And fourth, they had a great commission kind of loyalty. Let's look at the first of these, their great commission marriage. From the first time that we meet Aquila and Priscilla in the New Testament, we know them As a married couple and only as a married couple. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. It's the first place in the narrative of Scripture in its chronological development. It's the first place that we learn of this couple. Acts chapter 18. And right at the beginning of this chapter, Luke records these words. Acts 18 verses 1 to 3. After these things, he, Paul... Left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He, Paul, came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. Paul became acquainted with Priscilla and Aquila on his Second missionary journey. In the book of Acts, it begins in chapter 15, verse 36, and it extends to Acts 18, verse 22. The years would have been 8050 to 8052. And Paul becomes acquainted with this couple in this city of Corinth. We learn from Luke in these verses that Aquila was a Jew, what we would call a Hellenistic Jew, a Jew of the Diaspora, We're not sure about his wife, her ethnicity is never commented on, but we do know Aquila for sure was a Jew, and probably Paul first became acquainted with this couple in the synagogue there, as it was Paul's custom to meet with the Jews and proclaim Christ to them. Aquila came from the region of Pontus which is a region around the southeast part of the Black Sea in modern-day Turkey. And we know that there was a large population of Jews from that area because even in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, a group of Jews from Pontus were there in Jerusalem celebrating Pentecost. And Luke tells us here that Aquila was married to Priscilla. She's going to be called Prisca, in other places, that's her shortened name. And they come having arrived from Italy, verse 2 says. Now, historian Luke is very fascinated with these kinds of incidental details. He notes that Claudius, the emperor, had been the one to, 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 to command the Jews to leave Rome. Claudius was a Roman empire who reigned from AD 41 to AD 54... And according to the ancient Roman historian Suetonius, who refers to this edict, he says that Claudius had commanded the Jews to leave Rome because there were disturbances at the instigation of a certain Crestus. And so Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome. Now, many scholars believe that this Crestus is a reference to Christ. a Latin mistranslation of the word Christos. And according to Suetonius, what had happened was that Claudius had been concerned that these debates among the Jews were creating social unrest in Rome and that in order to preserve the stability, he had best order them to leave Rome. What that appears to be is a reference to the fact that the preaching of Jesus of Nazareth as being The Christ had reached Rome by that time, was causing no small disturbance. And so, Claudius, among those Jews, just orders them out. And Aquila was one of those Jews who had probably by that time already become a believer. And so, he and his wife are forced to leave. And they arrive there in Corinth. Why Corinth? Why Corinth? Well, business. We read that in verse 3... They were of the trade of tent makers. Now, probably the best way to understand that word tent maker, which is a very rare term, is to actually translate it as leather worker, which means that they were artisans. They were of the business class, working class, tradespeople, and their work was to do all things related to leather. That would have included things like belts and shoes, ship sails, Tents, awnings, everything that you could think of made from tanned skins. But why the move to Corinth? Well, Corinth was one of the great economic engines of the Roman Empire. And not only that, but in Corinth, or actually just outside of Corinth, every two years, there was a series of games called the Isthmian Games, second only to the Olympic Games. And those Isthmian Games took place. Just outside of Corinth, those Isthmian games required a a whole lot of leather workers. So according to the timing, it seems very appropriate that they were lured to Corinth at the prospect of new work. They had lost whatever they had in Rome, and so they come to Corinth for business. But as we're going to see, the Lord had other purposes for them there. Now when we meet them, we meet them as a couple. And here is what is interesting about their marriage. Every time that we will now come across Aquila and Priscilla in the account of Luke in the book of Acts, as well as in all of Paul's writings, wherever he refers to them, they are always considered to be a couple. They're always mentioned together. They're mentioned a total of six times Several times in Acts and several times in Paul's letters, always together. But here is what is more fascinating. Two of the six times where they are mentioned, Aquila's name comes first. Now, that's the normal way in those days the husband's name would always be mentioned first. But four out of the six times, Priscilla, her name, is mentioned first. Very unusual. Now, some have explained this, that perhaps Priscilla came from a higher social order. It is possible that Aquila married into nobility. Perhaps that's an explanation. We simply don't know. Others have speculated that perhaps Priscilla became a believer first, and that's why the biblical writers, that's why Luke and Paul will refer to her first. But that is even more speculation. More likely, the reason for this order is that both Luke and Paul recognize and have great respect for Priscilla as a servant of the church. The Lutheran commentator Richard Lenski put it this way, In character, ability, devotion, she excelled her husband so evidently that her name had to precede his. In sacrifice and service, Priscilla was nothing short of remarkable. For this to be the case, it meant that Aquila was not in any way insecure about his wife's service. He was not in any way intimidated by that or jealous of that exceptional service. Instead, there's every reason to believe that Aquila, as a good husband, helped Priscilla employ her giftedness for the good of the church. There's every reason to believe that this couple operated in in, in harmony with each other's ministry aspirations, not in competition with each other. And as such, living this out in the context of their marriage, they were able to do far more than two would do separately. And as we will see as we continue to study their lives, the marriage of Aquila and Priscilla provides a powerful testimony to us, either as those who are already married or as those who are looking too married to be married, this couple provides a powerful testimony to what a couple can do when they are united together under Christ and for his commission. They illustrate what it means to be one flesh in the Great Commission. One commentator put it this way they furnish the most beautiful example known to us in the apostolic age of the power for good. That could be exerted by a husband and wife working in unison with each other for the advancement of the gospel. In this, they had a model marriage. Not one turned inward, but one dedicated to the Lord and to his purposes. You see, marriage was not just created for each spouse, as important as That is, in that regard, as Paul states in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, marriage is to serve as an illustration, an illustration of more transcendent things. And how better can one do that than by by having both spouses equally and in harmony committed to advancing the Great Commission? They had a Great Commission marriage. Secondly, they had a great commission home. That's what the result is going to be when you have a husband and a wife both dedicated to each other for the glory of Christ. They had a great commission home. When we study what Luke and Paul describe about the home of Aquila and Priscilla, we find that their home played a very important role in three great centers of early Christianity. You may not have ever seen this or noticed this connection. But in three of the great cities of the early church, Aquila and Priscilla, and their home plays a very central role. First, we see it in Corinth. Again, going back to Acts chapter 18 on Paul's second missionary journey, 80-50 to 52, as he's there evangelizing what is modern-day Greece. He is there in the southern part of Greece. He arrives in Corinth. Uh, He arrives in Corinth after preaching the gospel in Athens. He arrives and we read in Acts 18 verse 3 that Paul stayed with Aquila and Priscilla. And they were working for by trade they were tent makers. Their home for Paul's 18 months in Corinth served as his host home. And this was no small thing. As we read other details surrounding Paul's ministry in the city of Corinth, we find that that season of 18 months was not an easy time for the Apostle Paul. Later on, when he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 3, he explains his state of mind when he entered that city for the first time. His state of mind when he would have come across Aquila and Priscilla there in Acts 18. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 3, read as follows. And when I came to you, Corinthians, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now notice verse 3. I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. From all accounts, the 18 months of Paul's ministry in Corinth were exceedingly challenging, and they certainly were at the very beginning. In fact, if we look back to Acts 18, we read in verse 9 that the Lord, in one of the few cases where the Lord, where the Lord directly appears to Paul, he did so in Corinth he appeared to Paul in the night in a vision, and, and these are the words that Paul received. Look at 18, verse 9, Acts 18, verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, this is when he just got to Corinth: do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking. And do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Yes, the apostle Paul was afraid. We often don't think of that. He is the great missionary par excellence. And yet we find his humanity, his frail humanity, on display. Something was going on there in Corinth. And Paul was afraid. The Lord had to tell him, Paul, don't worry. I'm going to protect you. And on that basis, Paul remains there and it raises the question, how did the Lord practically administer his preserving care to this apostle? It came, for example, through the hospitality of Aquila and Priscilla As one writer notes, one of the highest forms of hospitality is to provide religious sympathy and cheerful interaction for those who might otherwise be depressed in their solitary round of service. And we could see that is exactly how Aquila and Priscilla ministered to Paul. Paul was dependent upon them. But not only was he dependent upon them in Corinth, we also see their home, a center for the church in the city of Ephesus. Later on, after Paul finishes his ministry in Corinth on that second missionary journey, he'll make a brief stop in the city of Ephesus. It was across the Aegean Sea. Paul stops there briefly before he continues on to Jerusalem. And we read this in Acts 18. You can look there, Acts 18 Verse 18, Paul, having remained many days longer there in Corinth, took leave of the brethren, put out for Syria, and with him were Priscilla and Aquila. So as Paul now leaves Corinth, after 18 months, he takes with him this missionary couple. Verse 19, they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, And then taking leave of them, verse 21, he says, I will return to you again if God wills. And he sets sail. Well, indeed, on Paul's third missionary journey, which begins just a few months later, Paul does come back to Ephesus. And once again, Paul sees Aquila and Priscilla, and once again, they serve as patrons for his church planting effort. He leaves them there in Ephesus for them to prepare the soil for him. And then when he comes back, he begins his preaching ministry. Sometime later, at the end of his third missionary journey, he is going to write the letter to the Corinthians. And he's going to give the Corinthians a greeting at the end of his letter of 1 Corinthians. He, he writes that from Ephesus, and he says this, 1 Corinthians sixteen nineteen. This is now three years after he's been ministering in Ephesus. He says, the churches of Asia greet you. The Roman province of Asia and Ephesus was the chief city. He said, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. There in Ephesus, Paul had planted at least one church, if not more, and we know that the church was meeting there in Ephesus now, in the home of Aquila and Priscilla. Corinth, then Ephesus, but it doesn't end there. It then continues on to Rome. Later on, just a few months after, he writes to the Corinthians, again at the end of his third missionary journey, he picks up the pen and he writes a letter to the Roman church. He, he wants now, after his third missionary journey, to visit Rome. He wanted to finish up his time in the Aegean region, head back to Jerusalem, and then eventually get to Rome. And as we read in Romans chapter 15, Paul had wanted to be encouraged by the believers there in Rome. He had never met before and then helped by them on to Spain. He asks the Romans in that letter to help prepare his way for him to come to Rome and then for him to go to Spain. And at the end of the letter to the Romans, in Romans 16... If you turn to Romans 16, you have a very interesting ending to this greatest letter that has ever been written in human history. A a chapter, a whole chapter filled with dozens of greetings to the believers in Rome whom he had never yet met and he's preparing his way to get there. And what's interesting is this, in verses 3 to 5, Paul writes to the Roman believers and he says to them, verse three Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers. Now, wait a minute, weren't they just in Ephesus? They had been. They had been for all of Paul's three years in Ephesus, just as they had been for 18 months of his time prior to that in Corinth. But now Paul has left Ephesus and so have Aquila and Priscilla. And where did they go? They went to the place where Paul was headed next. And their home becomes the place for the church to gather. Notice in verse 5 where he refers to the church that is in their house. Now as leather workers, they would have been able to secure... In those days, a little shop, it was known that these shops would have been about 8 to 12 feet wide, not very big, 12 to 24 feet deep. And they had a vaulted ceiling and a second story would be put in there. And that would be the living quarters for a couple like Aquil and Priscilla and any guests that they had. A church like that, a building like that could host about 20 people for worship. And that's what we see Aquila and Priscilla doing with their business. Again, one writer puts it this way, as in Corinth, as in Ephesus, so in the great metropolis of the empire, Aquila and Priscilla have the high distinction of making their home a shelter for those who profess the name of Christ and a means for consolidating and extending the church. They used their business as a way to make connections, to network. They used their business to minister to the needs of missionaries. They used their business to extend hospitality. And through this they become great patrons of the Great Commission. Thirdly, not only do we see this Great Commission marriage and a Great Commission home. We see they had a Great Commission theology. They had a Great Commission theology. Obviously, such commitment comes from a robust Uh, A a robust theology, and that's certainly what we see in in Aquila and Priscilla. Now, oftentimes, there's the caricature that those who are involved in materially supporting missions, that they don't care so much about doctrinal precision. But Aquila and Priscilla destroy that characterization. We We find their commitment to a precise theology evident in how they ministered, to a great preacher of the first century, and it wasn't even Paul. This preacher could be known as the Charles Spurgeon of the first century, a very eloquent preacher named Apollos. Turn back to Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, verses 24 to 26, we read of Aquila and Priscilla and their interaction With Apollos. Now, a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, this is verse 24, Acts 18, he was an eloquent man. He came to Ephesus. They were already there in Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, but being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, verse 25 states, according to Luke, that Apollos had been instructed in the way of the Lord. That's a reference to the prophecies given in the Old Testament concerning the way of salvation. He was fervent in spirit. He was genuine. He was committed. There was no superficiality with him. And he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. He had heard of Jesus. He believed Jesus to be the Messiah and was preaching that. But there was still an element that was missing in his theology. Luke says that Apollos was only familiar with the baptism of John. Now, the baptism of John was not the kind of baptism that we saw earlier. The baptism of John was a a reference to a prior age. The baptism of John represented the baptism of the Old Testament, you could say. But Apollos was not familiar with the birth of the church. He was not familiar with the kind of baptism that we did here. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, he had had been unaware of the day of Pentecost. And so verse 26, Aquila and Priscilla committed to precise theology. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. The word accurately there means strict conformity to a standard or norm with a focus on careful attention. Now, Apollos wasn't teaching heresy he wasn't teaching error, but his teaching was incomplete. And the, pro, the, the the response of Aquila and Priscilla show us that they were not only interested in contributing materially to the Great Commission. No, this couple was committed to accurate theology. This business couple, this working class couple was concerned that the gospel had to be preached Accurately in its fullness. They were not just generous leather workers. They were theologically mindful. They were not just interested in activity. They were interested in accuracy. They were not just excited about Apollos' popularity. They cared about principle. They were not charmed by Apollos's technique, they cared about truth, they cared deeply about Apollos, and so they take him aside and they explain to him the way of God more accurately. Later on, the Apostle Paul is going to comment on the ministry of Apollos with glowing terms. You could find this in 1 Corinthians 3, we won't turn there. But when we read of Apollos later on in 1 Corinthians 3, we can pause and say thank you, Lord, for using Aquila and Priscilla to help train and prepare this great Charles Spurgeon of the first century to preach the, God, the word of God accurately. Fourthly, they had a great commission loyalty. They had a great commission loyalty, not only a great commission marriage, not only a great commission home, not only a great commission theology, they had a great commission loyalty. Turn here back to that text in Romans chapter 16, and, and this is very, very powerful, and I want you to, I want you to see the, 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 the pathos that, that Paul writes here into these words Chapter 16, verses 3 to 4, he says this. Greet Prisca and Aquila. He's writing to the Roman church. Prisca and Aquila had already moved there to get the ground ready for Paul to come. So Paul writes to the Romans. He says, greet them. He says, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Now, that term, fellow worker, is very important. It's no inconsequential term. Paul didn't just throw it out there. He always and only used it to refer to those who were special partners with him in the Great Commission. That word that we translate as fellow worker actually is the same word from which we get synergy. Paul had synergy with Aquila and Priscilla in the Great Commission. They were his old friends. They were loyal collaborators in the work. But there's something even more amazing about this description. Notice back in the text of Romans 16, not only are are they fellow workers in Christ Jesus, but notice verse 4, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Literally, Paul says, Aquila and Priscilla put their necks out on the line. It literally is translated as, they lay down their own necks. The idea of this idiom is that they essentially put their own necks on the chopping block. Now, what, what is this all about? Paul obviously refers here to some kind of great peril that he had been in. And Aquila and Priscilla, this working class couple, these leather workers had stepped forward and in some way protected Paul and even offered their own lives in exchange for the protection and preservation of this great apostle. And that's why he can then go on to say to the Gentile churches, listen, me as this this apostle to the Gentiles, you can be thankful for Aquila and Priscilla because of their work I am able to preach to you. That was Aquila and Priscilla. What did they do? We're never told. We know that in Ephesus, Paul says, I fought with wild beasts, an idiom there as well, saying that in Ephesus, in his ministry there, it was dangerous. In Corinth, we read already that he was there in fear and trembling. There was some real physical danger for this great apostle. And here is a normal, ordinary, working-class couple putting their lives forward for his sake. It was something momentous. It demonstrated something exceedingly praiseworthy in this couple. And it reminds us of John 15 verse 13. Greater love has no one than this. Than one lay down his life for his friends. Aquila and Priscilla were willing to do that. This is how A.T. Robertson describes it. They were ready to die to save Paul's life. This great sacrificial act Paul could never forget. It set Aquila and Priscilla apart among Paul's friends. They were henceforth knit together by this blood bond. The fact that they escaped with their lives in no wise decreases Paul's sense of obligation to them for their heroic deed. It was loyalty to the limit and Paul cherished the memory of their courage. This is the example of this couple. They will be referred to one more time in Paul's writing. In his last letter, 2 Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 15. That all who were in Asia were, were leaving Paul. They were afraid. By 2 Timothy, the time that Paul writes that, he is in prison again a second time, but this time with no hope of release. He has been charged with capital crimes, and now the attitude of the the empire is not favorable to the church. Many were forsaking Paul, not wanting to be identified with him, because to do so was dangerous. Only a handful of people maintained their connection with Paul. And one of them, or two of them, were Aquila and Priscilla. We read in Second Timothy 4 verse 19. Some of the last words of the beloved apostle Paul. He gives that same exhortation which he had given many times before related to this couple greet prisca and aquila greet them they were his friends now this is this is an example of a couple that is committed to the great commission we need today as much as ever gospel patrons like Aquila and Priscilla. It'll begin with a great commission marriage. It'll begin by seeing that marriage exists not for self, but for God, that marriage exists for the purposes of God, and that marriage is put on greatest display when it is oriented toward making much of Christ by proclaiming him through word and deed to the nations. And that begins in ordinary working class marriages secondly we need patrons like aquila and priscilla today because we need great commission homes homes that will be used to minister to the needs of missionaries who are back on furlough and need encouragement and rest we need homes that will be used as connecting points for networking to bring people together For the sake of evangelization. As well as bringing people together to talk about the mission. We need Great Commission homes. We need Great Commission theology. A kind of commitment to the work that doesn't just look for action. Is not just giving money to whatever it looks like is working. But is committed more than ever to the accurate proclamation of the gospel. We need those couples who are working class couples, but love theology and care for the accuracy of that theology being brought to the nations. And we need great commission loyalty, a kind of sacrifice that will take risks. It's not a nice word today. No one wants to take risk. Just ask the missionaries how many people will try to convince them that it's dangerous to go to Burundi. I'm sure Carlin could give you a whole list of people who would say, can't you do more from over here than over there? But we need couples who will believe in the dignity of risk-taking for the gospel. And you may not have to put your necks on the line for Carlin and Michelle, but there may be other things that you can do to take risks, godly risks, God-glorifying risks, To count this world as nothing and to say Christ is worthy of it all, and so I'm going to put it all on the line because I believe he's worthy. That is done not just by missionaries, that is done by working class people. And that is what we find in the example of Aquila and Priscilla. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for these examples in your word that give us insight into the lives of ordinary people whom you chose to use in extraordinary ways. And following the instruction of your son who said that when we look at the harvest and see that there are few workers, that we are commanded to pray to the Lord of the harvest, that's you, that you would send many workers into that harvest. And we certainly pray that. But Father, having studied this example, we also, we pray that you would fill this church with Aquilas and Priscillas. That more than ever, the marriages in this church would reflect the wonderful privilege of this ministry of reconciliation. And though there are couples who may love to go but cannot, that they would be refreshed by this example and see that their work can be dignified, particularly through devoting it to the furtherance of the Great Commission. Fill this church, Father, we pray, with more couples like this. Convict those of us who are married, who see marriage as only something for ourselves. Convict us, To use our marriages for the sake of the spread of the gospel. Our homes, those places that you have given us that we often look for as a retreat. That we would see them as places where gospel discussions could thrive and networking could take place and missionaries helped on their way. That you would give us a commitment to accurate theology, that whenever we think about the gospel spread, we would be very particular about the message and how it is preached. And we pray you'd give us a loyalty that would take risks. We pray all this, Father, because your son, Jesus Christ, is worthy of it all. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.